So Heloise and Abelard is the feature screenplay. I guess it's the greatest love story of all time, I guess. Part of the Romance Festival, winner of best uh, feature screenplay. Is that fair to say? It's it's the great romance of all time. Me, like J-Lo and Ben Affleck have nothing on them, I guess. Have nothing on them. In fact, I would argue it was the inspiration for Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. But the big difference is it's what would have happened to Romeo and Juliet if they had not committed suicide. But they were Romeo and Juliet were teenagers, I guess, right? This this yeah. is their this is basically this is a based on a true story. 20, uh, 20 uh, sorry, twelfth century uh, in France. Right. He's twenty years older than her. How old right. is she when they meet? So there's a lot of speculation about it. Yep. Um, yep. There is a lot of support that she probably was in her late teens. Mm -hmm. um, some later researchers have said she might have been a little bit older, but the twenty year differential is clearly identified in all of the letters. Um, there are love letters that have survived 900 years between the two lovers, which is what the story is based on. So but, but to be fair, uh, 12th century, people don't live as, as long as they do now. So the 20, and even if she's a teenager, it's a different kind of world. People were getting married when they were 15 years old back in the 12th century, I guess, right? Well, and there were also another consideration. Those who actually lived longer usually had better food and were better taken care of. Mm -hmm. And so somebody in their 40s back then might have looked more like a person in their 50s today. Um, but what's interesting is both Heloise and Abelard lived to be in their mid-60s. So they had long lives. Wow. And that's rare. Like I said, that's rare for that kind of that time period, I guess. Right. No matter yeah. how wealthy or on what you are, I guess. Show, if you made it through like all of the trials and tribulations of all the diseases and everything that that could happen to you until your life expectancy, which was in your 30s, mm -hmm. you did have a probability you could live a longer life. Not like today, obviously. So this is a there's so much like uh, part of the if you're a vegetarian, there's so much meat on the bone, I guess, of uh uh, and in in terms of this story, there's so there's a sex scandal. There's obviously people love romance. There's just so much going on in terms of these two characters, and there's so much historical uh, history to it. Why do you think this hasn't been made into a film yet? Um, I think there are a couple of things. Um, I think the, I mean, you do know that Abelard. This is a um, warning alert for those who don't know the story. Um, Abelard is probably the most famous castrated lover in history. Mm -hmm. And the violent act against him is obviously a critical part of their love because these love letters actually occurred after he was castrated. Um, so let me just back up a little bit. Um, Heloise was considered the most brilliant young woman of all of France. Um, her uncle who had raised her indulged her with the best tutors. She exhausted them all. Um, she begged that she would have loved to have gone to Sorbonne University, but women were not allowed to go, let alone girls. And so she then begged her uncle to at least have Professor Abelard, who was 20 years older than her, become her tutor. Now, Peter was just going to meet her, dismiss her. And when he met her, he actually was so intrigued with her mind. He not only agreed to tutor her, but said he would do it for free. And so the, the tutoring began. And in addition to teaching Aristotle and mathematics and theology, he taught her about love. Now, he too probably was a virgin. So you've got this, even in those days, the scandal of a professor in those days, if you were to be a highly successful tenured professor, 
you took an oath of celibacy and you could have whores on the side, which people did, but if you married, it sort of ruined your career. And he you know, had this affair, he loved her, the uncle found out, the uncle was furious, they ran off together. Um, he wanted to marry her, she was pregnant, she has all sorts of articulate arguments about why sh they shouldn't wed, it would ruin his career, she shouldn't deny the world with his great expertise, but he loves her and they do marry. Um, she has the child. Um, he hides her away in a convent. You remember Romeo and Juliet. And the uncle, and he sneak, he goes back to teach you, sneaks away on weekends mm. to see her and the child. I mean, they very much love each other, you know, despite this huge difference. And, you know, today we don't approve of teachers having sex with their students, whether yeah. or not they're university professors or high school teachers. You know, that moral compass was present then. But he sneaks away on weekends to see her and make love. And her uncle finds out that she's in this convent, does not know about the baby, and assumes that Peter knocked her up and dumped her there. So in the middle of the night, he arranges for um, some thugs to go in and castrate Peter to get even. Um, yeah, there's, there's like I said, there's a lot... <laughs> This is the way you described it. That's a that's a movie in itself, right? Like right. it's so now what's the interesting part is that could be the movie in of itself. What's remarkable about their love, which is why it's considered internal love, is that it continued for the next 20 years. Mm -hmm. And you know, in those days, what do two lovers like in this situation do? And the challenge also in those days was if you had um a child out of wedlock, like she did, because she was you know, conceived the baby before, um, she could be burned at the stake. Um, he too was in danger, but as is true in today's society, men can sometimes get away with these kinds of sexual improprieties yeah. much better than women. So to protect Heloise and his child, he basically begged her to become a nun. And he became a priest. She gave up the child. His sister raised the child. Um, and what we discover, I mean, I opened the screenplay really with her in her forties and she's waiting and preparing for Peter to come. I mean, that's all we sort of know. And there's a young novice who's thinking of becoming a nun and an older nun tells her this cautionary tale of why you should not fall in love. Of course, the young novice is thinking that she'd much rather be with her boyfriend and have a regular life, but her parents want her to be a nun. So during this cautionary tale, we learn the backstory. We see Heloise preparing for the arrival of Peter. And at the midpoint, what we discover is Peter's arrival is his corpse. That he has died. He's been excommunicated. And his dying wish is that she bury him on consecrated soil. And the nuns are all upset because if she does this, it means they too will burn in hell. Mm -hmm. So um, we see her preparing his body, and then we learn more about what happened in the last 20 years in terms of these love letters um, and how her convent, the church had um, just, you know, basically evicted the nuns that were with her and her saying they were whores. Um, he himself was at another um, con uh, abbey where the, the monks were trying to poison him. They were anti-intellectual, you know, just horrible experiences. He, of course, everyone knew he'd been castrated. So fast forward 10 years and 
he starts his own order in the woods out in the area of Champagne, France, and says, you can come and join me there. And they then have an intellectual love. And she supports him in his trial and in the end decides to bury him. Um, the nuns leave. She does an argument, a letter campaign with the Pope, and the excommunication gets reversed. Mm -hmm. The nuns return. And in the next balance of her life, she builds the largest convent in all of Europe. It extended all the way to Austria. And you you compacted this all in uh, in basically a two-hour script. The way you described it is that if say you're pitching in a studio, like the studio people are like, oh, this is a this is a miniseries. This is this is a 10-part show, right? I love that you said that because I also have a TV pilot okay. and a Bible for that very reason. Um, it was a very hard choice because the love story of when they're young is a beautiful love story, mm -hmm. but it has a tragic moment. But that's why I say what to me is remarkable is the next 20 years. Yeah. Um, and I originally had gotten a grant to make a short, which I did. I did not know their story. I was compulsive. I'm a PhD, did a lot of research, wrote the feature. But then I started seeing all the popularity of period miniseries. And so I have written the pilot, written the Bible. Mm -hmm. And what's nice about a limited TV series is you can also go a lot more into the struggle between the King of France and the Pope. And this is a period when there was this Pope schism and there was one Pope in France, one in Rome, there were battles, sword fights, um, attempted you know, murders of other Popes, yeah. you know, all over the struggle between the intellectuals of the Sorbonne and the anti-intellectual and religious fundamentalists on the other side, again, very relevant to what's happening. 100%, today. yeah, that, that, I was just gonna get to that about like, that's the, kind of like the under, under uh, subtext, that's sort of what's happening in the film as well. Another version where the Catholic Church doesn't look that all that that great, <laughs> but uh, but they ran like the church ran Europe, right? They were they were the rulers of of the land, so to speak, I guess, right during that time. Yeah, but I think in the TV miniseries we can go into a lot of the subtleties. For example, there were popes during their period, like this one who has a tragic death. He had basically it um, issued an order that if you um, kill Jews, which was common in the Middle Ages, you'll be excommunicated. You won't go to heaven. So mm -hmm. there was a period of peace. But then when the power struggle changed, then of course, there was a new, you know, yeah. edict that came out. So it does sort of show the power of who is Pope, what the relationships are with the various kings throughout Europe, um, this whole issue of the balance of power during this period. The Templar Knights were established because the Pope had no army. And yeah, the idea yeah. was the Templars would be the religious knights who would be more powerful than any of the other king's um, army. So, again, it was trying to establish a balance of power or a supreme power with the Pope. And basically what almost, like you said, it's very relevant today. It's like oh, we, we really don't change as humans. It's just the dynamics are different. But it's really the like the themes, I guess, and and right. the male ego and and power and insecurity and whatever you want to call it is is still relevant today. It's like the way you described, like there's peace, and then of course, like then someone wants control, and then and then right. chaos occurs. So in a TV Mary series, you can go into all of that. Of course, yeah, and it, it's fascinating. It's fascinating, yeah. right? And like, the other 
Oh, no, go ahead. The, the other thing you can also show, which is true today, you know, the choices that Peter had in terms of what order with he went with um, was huge because the order he went with was not a good fit. The order that defended him during the trials was a much more open-minded, really believed in freedom of thought, freedom of speech, um, logic. And the order that set up the trial and were after him were an order that were fundamentalists, you know, who believe faith only was the answer, anti-intellectual. So again, you, it reflects society today. Yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's so interesting. The, the the love story is really like classic storytelling, where it's like it's fantastic, and then there's like a, there's a major conflict, and then they they rise from the conflict, and then they there's another, and it gets destroyed again. Like like the the thought of being castrated from a male point perspective is. It's probably the most devastating thing. Might as well just kill me, right? Like basically, and then, but he perseveres from that, and like, and still, and still, like, try, and still lives his life, and and despite that, he, there's still a love story, which is interesting. It's an interesting situation because obviously there's no sexual intercourse, but there's still romance, I guess, right? Oh, and they're buried to this day side by side yeah. at a cemetery outside of Paris. So not, not only have their love letters continued, but there's this beautiful, you know, cemetery thing, yeah. you know, that lovers to this day go and put little love notes, hoping they too will have eternal love. So is it the love letters that keeps their legacy alive? Like say there wasn't any love letters, would they still, like, would they be remembered in history? So the tough thing is Heloise was able to save some of Peter's writings. He was very prolific. But the church burned his books. Yeah. Um, but, you know, some survived. I really think the uniqueness was the love letters. I mean, the other little aside was Peter also was a poet and he wrote ballads about his love for Heloise. Um, some of those I have some transcriptions of. Um, but I I don't know if it would have survived. It was required reading in the 19th century in the United States. And then it was replaced in most curriculum with uh, Romeo and Juliet in the 20th century. Um, I wondered sometimes maybe the story is not told because of the castration. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, males are like, oh my golly, this is devastating. But when I try to explain, this is a very pure love. Yeah. Um, the other complicating factor in this you have to think about. Matt, is what kind of an uncle would be driven to do this to someone, to a yeah. man? And there are a lot of theories about what was going on in the uncle's head at the time. Um, one theory was that he was a pedophile and he lusted after Heloise. Another theory was, and we know he himself took an oath of celibacy, but was not celibate. And so the theory is he, in fact, was Heloise's father, um, he'd had impregnated Heloise's mother. She was his concubine. And when she was seven, her mother died. And the nuns did bring her to, quote, her uncle to raise her. Mm -hmm. um, and so this could have been a father. It also was a man who was involved in academia, felt Peter was wrong. He should never have had sex with anyone, let alone his daughter or his niece, however you want to consider her. Yeah. But the script does show the impact of really this kind of sexual oppression 
yeah. and suppression on both men and women that might cause them to do things beyond what one would normally think one should do. Yeah, my first thought was that he, it's almost like he he damaged, it's like the Madonna horror complex, like he damaged Heloise, like from her purity, I guess, right? Yes. Which is a male thing. It still happens today, by the way. Right. Now, and, and so that was my first thought where it was like, she's like, so he, I'm going to, we're, I'm going to do the worst thing I can to him because he, exactly. he destroyed her. Right? And he'll right. never do to anyone else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That was my first thought because that's what, that's what men are like. So. And from what I can tell my research, he was, there was no repercussions for what he did. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there was, he could, have been a, he could have been a hero in some circles, I guess too. Right. Yeah, and there was shame of obviously for Peter that this was done to him um, because it became known, you know. Mm. Um, but I also sort of struggled with what should be the uncle's um, situation, you know. And so when they first elope, this is pre-castration, when they first run off together, you know, I have the uncle on a rampage to find them at any cost. Um, and so they're always running and trying to find shelter and they end up at his sister's home and have to flee again, but she has the baby at the sister's home. Um, you know, so you see this man really obsessed. You see this man who then, um, orders this castration. He is there. He says, no, you will never, you know, have my Heloise again. You will never, you know, as you say, um, make her further impure. Mm-hmm. But then he learns of the baby and he learns if he's the father, that he has a grandson, if he's the uncle, he's got a nephew. But in any way, Heloise has had this baby. And in the Catholic church, it's a mortal sin if you prevent a married couple, because they were married now, mm-hmm. from having children. So now he has even further demons that he did this. And yeah. I have, a, I think, a pretty... Um, grotesque way that he dies where he takes his life so from a like from a storytelling like or from a like publicity or like promotion standpoint you got obviously these two main characters they're like obviously true love there's there's like some there's like there's so many arcs and there's so many like uh levels to them then you have like the pure villain right like you have this like the uncle like who is this villainous character then you have all the the side characters the powerful people like it's it's a pretty it's a pretty i want to see this i think that there no but you're very good at describing it too right like so like um it's just you know like even like uh even like actors known actors would just love to to jump into these roles right because there's so much, there's so much to play on, right? Like, especially in a miniseries, like have a 10 hour arc and like with all these dynamics going on and like, and you know, we're, we've been talking to about it a lot, but the castration thing, it's almost like, don't shy away from that. Like go to that because that's sort of like, what does it mean to be a man? Like that, there's another layer to that. It's like, it's like this, there's this penis, like, subtext that is, is going on and like it's something that we never especially in the western world we don't really talk about that often but it's there and it's like and it's like it's it's overrated probably <laughs> but it's like but that's also too it's like let's push to that direction let's talk about yeah. that because it's, it's never been talked about really in film before i guess right and also for the woman what does it mean yeah. to love a man yeah 
Well, yeah, exactly. That's sort of the, the extra the layer. Yeah, yeah. Now, so you've asked, has this been made? Um, there was a version of it made, I'm trying to think of when, like in the 80s, and it was from Peter's perspective. Okay. Um, and it didn't really go very far. I think it was shot in Estonia. Um, this is really from Heloise's perspective. Yeah. Which I think, you know, definitely is more of a feminist perspective. But I think this conversation with you, Matt, today is sort of showing the male perspective in terms of seeing this. Um, I thought it was cute because when your reviewer um, provided feedback on the script, it was wonderful feedback. But the one little note was, there's a lot of violence. Maybe you could cut the castration scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows? I, I think, like, I don't want to, I can go back, but it's like, it's probably a female even said that, right? Like, I mean, it's going to, I mean, I was talking to some friends two weeks ago and they didn't know the story and they were all like, oh yeah, love story, love story. And then I tell this moment and they go, oh. Yeah. That's that's good though. See, I disagree with my assigned reviewer because it's, it's because that's what I mean that it's so uncomfortable let's 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 go into that direction right that's like you yeah. know what I mean like so and like I, I and, and obviously to be fair too it's like it's better from her point of view too to be told from her point of view too because she's the she's the younger one she's like it's almost like the looking up kind of theory where she's she's he's already established as a human being in a sense where she's already like, she's kind of figuring herself out and like, you know what I mean? Like it's a better, it's a better story to, to talk about from that angle. Right. And obviously I mean, the I, female perspective in that era, even in today's relative today's times as well, I guess too. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the male perspective, Peter's perspective obviously has developed as well, you know? Yeah, of uh, course. Yeah. You know, and in his love letters, the first 10 years, I mean, he was just trying to heal. And he was in a horrible place. As I said, the monks were trying to poison him. His wounds weren't healing properly. Who knows what kind of medical intervention you had for that kind of a violent act against a man. Um, I actually was in Italy and looked at the instruments in the 12th century that were used to do castration and you don't want to think about it. Um, and so a lot of his letters to her initially, she would write of his love and say, you know, it's, it's a farce. I have on this habit. I'm pretending to be a nun. I, you know, when I look up at the cross of Jesus, I think of you, I don't think about, you know, so she's showing her sexual love and he's saying like, I don't have any libido, like lady move on, you know, and she is very pure. And, in you know, as you can see, a lot of the choices he makes for her or provides, you know, guidance, like you got to give up the kid and become a nun, yeah. you know, yeah. it was a heart wrenching decision. And she basically says, I would follow you to hell. I love you so much. Yeah, that's a controversial thing too, right? In the in the in the story, in the between the two of them, her giving up her child, right? Very tough. Very yeah. tough. Like that's like, yeah, that's something that it do like I'm saying, that's what you but I, for me, that's what you kind of go towards, right? Because it's not, it's 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 not things are complicated life is complicated humans are complicated right so it's like that's that's for that leads to generally better storytelling i guess right yeah yeah well i think this is a fantastic script and you're very you're you're you should be in in a studio room talking about it because you're very <laughs> eloquent and you because i know there's more for you i know you're like kind of confirm you said you have a phd and you're like you probably write a lot of probably wrote like a lot of uh 
the extensive um, works of like hundreds of pages, but the way you describe this story in kind of like less than three minutes. And it's like, even though you know in your head, there's so much more to talk about, but you're able to like center it and basically and, 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 and for, for people listening right now and for, like I said, for people in, in, in a studio office. So I wish you the best with the script. I hope it's doing well I for you. I appreciate that. And oh, nice kudos to your reviewer. They also said this was ready to be made. Yeah, That's it great. is ready to be made. I, that's very rare. Like I, 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 I'll say this on record. It's like thousand screenplays, you know, probably one out of a thousand, maybe that get, and that's not, that's nothing a shot against anybody who's writing it. It's just that they're hard to make, right? Screenplays are very difficult. There's so much moving parts and, and uh, a lot of people obviously submit just for feedback as well. So, but yeah, your script is ready, ready to go. So hopefully it will get made in my lifetime. Um, and I will continue to persevere on this and many of the other scripts I have. Well, congratulations for everything. And let's talk again. I guess we talked 10 years ago. Let's talk. Let's not make it next <laughs> in, in 2032. Uh, let's make it like maybe next year or something like that. I like that idea. It's always <laughs> fun talking to you, Matt. And nice Thank to see you. you in person this time. Thank you so much. Interior, exterior, Paraclet Tower, countryside, day. Abbas Heloise spreads crumbs for doves on the window ledge. She watches them eat. She smiles as they fly away. She shifts her gaze to something moving in the orchard. Exterior, Paraclet Orchard, day. A girl bounds over rocks and dashes past grazing sheep. It's Nicole. Her novice head covering is off. Jacques, 18, jumps out from behind a tree. Nicole lets out a little shriek of surprise. A happy surprise. You can't come here. I'd follow you to the edges of the earth, my lovely lady. Jacques holds lavender sprigs. He unties the twine from Nicole's hair and wraps it around the lavender. Nicole smells them. Come away with me. You know that's impossible. My becoming a nun is all my parents pray for. It would break their hearts. And what about my heart? Jacques kisses her neck. Nicole looks around to make sure there are no prying eyes. I can't. Please, I want us to be together. He embraces and kisses her. She returns his kisses. They lie down together, their arms and legs intertwine as they kiss. She enjoys his roaming hands. A shadow looms over them. Startled, they look up in fear. Sister Catherine glares down at Nicole. Interior Paraclet Tower, day. Abbas Heloise's eyes are closed in deep memory. Abbas, are you up there? Abbas Heloise opens her eyes and looks out where Nicole and Jacques had been. They're gone. Coming. Abbas Heloise climbs down the stairs. Interior Paraclet Tower, office, day. Abbas Heloise sees Sister Catherine waiting with a frightened Nicole. Nicole's hair is tucked under her novice head covering. You may leave us now. Sister Catherine bows, glares at Nicole, and exits. Nicole rushes over and kneels before Abbas Heloise. You must tell me everything. Nicole clears her throat to gain her composure. Abbas, I've sinned. I kissed a boy. Did you like it? Nicole looks away. I said, did you like it? Silence. God will only forgive you if you are truthful. I did. 
I did like it. Can you still be a nun? Forget that touch? That feeling? Please, Abbas. I beg you. I must become a nun. I'll be good. Are you doing this for your parents or because this is what you want? You must search your heart, then let me know your answer. Until then, you are forbidden to see him. Nicole bows with a contrite heart. Interior Paraclet Novice Wing, Night Sister Catherine walks past the novice's small rooms and hears sobs coming from one. She looks in and sees Nicole crying and curled up on her cot. Sister Catherine sits down and places her hand on Nicole's shoulder to console her. I'll accept whatever punishment you give me. I want to save your soul, not torture you. Nicole looks puzzled. It pains me to tell you this story, but it'll help you decide to become a nun. Abbas Eloise is my dearest friend. Before I took my vows, I cared for her. Start flashback. Interior, Argentwheel Convent Hallway, night, 1110 A.D. Lightning illuminates the candlelit hall. Sounds of a child crying. Focus on a medieval painting of Mary Magdalene, weeping with her arms outstretched before Jesus Christ on the cross. Underneath the painting is a cherubic girl, eight. She's the one crying. She sits on the floor and clutches her knees to her chest. She's young Heloise. Catherine, then fourteen, a novice, races out of the room carrying a basket of wet rags. She shares a worried look with young Heloise and then rushes down the long hall. The door is left ajar. Young Heloise gets up and listens to the commotion of women's voices. She peeks inside. 